Life is unfair. Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast, the song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. <laughs> they might be giants. And on this episode, I have Johnny Walker, Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger, to talk. <laughs> the, the John from the South who's no longer in the South yes. to talk about the song Kana Jahari off of 2011's Join Us. How's it going, John? I already have learned your nicknames. Yes. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Johnny Walker is one you've gotten to. Oh, Johnny before. Walker is definitely one. Um, you know, uh, and as you mentioned, Walker, Texas Ranger. And then, um, um, you know, when I was a kid, just anything Johnny. There's a lot of Johnny stuff out there. Obviously, this band being a band of Johns with a song yep. about a guy yep. named Johnny off the same <laughs> album as the song we're talking about tonight. So there's a, there's a, a long theme of Johns going on. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 come up. A, it's lent itself to a bunch of jokes. Like when I was talking to uh, Danny, um, made some joke about. Oh, I can't remember. He said something something about him calling him. He called himself the baby Jesus. I'm like, did you just say the MF Giants are bigger than Jesus? And he's like, he's like, no, John already said that. I'm like, oh, that other John, right? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like we got to be specific. Which John said that? Not John Lennell or Flansburg. Right. John Lennon. That's right. And then I'm gonna have John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. My second favorite band is going to be on an episode, and I'm so excited. What song did he choose? Um. Well, I'm going to have to ask him why. I, I'm thinking that I think he only has one kid, John Darnell, and his kid must have been really little when the uh, Here Come the One Two Threes came out because he picked one everything and Apartment Four. So he's going to do two episodes. He picked he picked two kid songs. One everything is a great one. I was totally not expecting that though because the kid songs really are very slowly getting picked on my spreadsheet. Um, you're getting yeah a lot more of the parents basically parents who are fans you know um Mm -hmm. i've already i've and i've got people signed up both for the mickey mouse clubhouse song and hot dog (laughs) 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 and those could be fun episodes just to like go at it from an angle like i don't know you know just just to like dissect their um it's an opportunity to dissect their uh theme song um their love for creating theme songs or, or love for making money through theme songs. You know, it'll be a thing. You know, I think that the fact that their songs have this sort of like concentrated meal and a pill sort of yep. aspect to them, that they're so packed with stuff. I, I like the idea that some of these selections are going to challenge the idea that every mm-hmm. single one of their songs could lead to a conversation. You know what I'm saying? So, right. I, I, I mean, right. I'm not saying those won't be easy conversations, but I'm just saying it is interesting to think of some of these super loaded, super intricate songs, uh, like I would say the one we're talking about t- today, and then putting that up next to Hot Dog, Hot Dog, Hot Diggity Dog. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a whole, it opens up a whole world. I, I actually have not recorded any episodes with kids' songs yet, though I do have people sign up. I've had someone sign up for violin for quite a while. We just haven't gotten together yet. Um, 
my sixth grade, one of my private lesson students, uh, he grew up on They Might Be Giants. So him and possibly his parents may join in too. Uh, he comes to my house every Wednesday for lessons anyway. And we're going to talk about, he picked uh, In the Middle, In the Middle, In the Middle. And, oh, he also picked Older. He wanted to do oh, wow. older, which is a hilarious song to talk about with a 12 year old. <laughs> so, <laughs> but even cool. a 12 year old is getting older every second. So it applies to all of us, you know, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. We, we can talk about how he's going to grow old and die someday <laughs> and he'll run off crying. No, <laughs> he wouldn't. He's a very, uh, I say weird in a loving way. He is a lot like me and he is, uh, latched onto me, I think because we're both weird in a lot of the same ways. He reminds me of myself. Uh, he went. He went and saw Weird Al uh, last time Weird Al came through Indiana. So he's he's that kind of kid. He's he's me. <laughs> Very talented musician, French horn player, and guitar, plays French horn, guitar, drums. Uh, he takes recording lessons from me as well, and we write songs in our lessons. Oh, that's killer, man. <laughs> yeah, in the summer when we had time, he was coming to me uh, two hours, two hour chunks, two hours a week. <laughs> Every other kid was just a half hour. That's, that's got to be fun to be able to sort of uh, switch somebody on to all that stuff that's so accessible. I always think about, um, you know, having grown up, I was born in 73. So, uh, you know, growing up in the, in the, when I was, it was the 80s when I was at my sort of adolescent years getting interested in music and you, you, mm-hmm. you knew someone who had a four track or maybe better gear than right. that, but most of it was just on four track cassette. And so there was this mm-hmm. sense of like, you had to have a certain, there was a, a, an access barrier to being able to make music, but if you knew somebody, okay, this is awesome. But now everybody's got a recording studio on two or three devices yep. in yep. their home. So I can only imagine right. being a, a kid, let alone a talented kid who can play lots of oddball instruments. I, I look forward to what he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, if even if you look back, well, you could find, dude, I'll, I'll link you to SoundCloud after, uh, <laughs> after, um, we get off the phone here because he uh, is doing a lot of home recording. He's always he's he's the only private lesson student actually that I've ever had where his his parents are totally cool with him contacting me via email because he's constantly sending him, me links like are these good microphones? Is this a good value? What do you think? Should I buy these? I'm just like holy cow! First of all, he's an only child, so he may be a little bit spoiled, but he also saves up all of his money. He's he mowed my lawn every week last summer just to get money to buy more instruments and microphones <laughs> he's dedicated at 12 it's unbelievable he's gonna be like when he's my age he's gonna be kicking so much ass i can't even imagine if i was that intense at it that young yeah i love this kid already and i've just heard about him so seriously i was playing trombone starting in uh fifth grade and i started drums in eighth grade but he's only in sixth grade and he can already play six instruments pretty competently he actually mm-hmm. started on alto sax with me and decided to switch over to french horn but he was good at that too. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. He's he's quite a, a, a little. I mean, I'd even call him maybe a little bit of a prodigy. And uh, I'm just kind of trying to point him in uh, good directions and give him the uh, tips from the elder here. <laughs> now, I was born in '81, so I'm I'm I consider myself uh, pretty lucky. I mean, maybe a kid, maybe uh, some millennial or Gen Z or whatever the hell they're calling people these days. Um, that I got to do stuff before the internet was all over the friggin' place and before everyone had digital recording technology. I mean, I'd like to say that I still have, I mean, you, 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 you've been in bands a lot, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I have all my old cassettes. I've been digitizing my old band's cassettes, live shows, albums we put out on cassette. You know, we recorded our first album on four track. Our second one, we went up to eight track. And then our, our, our third album, we actually went into a studio and, you know, pool, pooled money and all that. And um, finally made a CD. We had to pay someone to mass produce the CDs. No one had a CD burner. So it was like half DIY. I don't know. It's just like... Uh, yeah, it almost seems too easy now. I mean, on one hand, I love how easy it is to record my own stuff, but on the other hand, where's you know where's the challenge? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you do you feel like that? Because you're recording stuff, you're recording yourself in high fidelity on your end right now, which is right. it's it's kind of rare for my guests. I mean, I think that. Um I think sometimes there has to be something to account for that. I think that if you if you if you imagine that what we're saying is that by having it all at your fingertips, it takes away whatever that sort of adventure is of discovering your people so that you you've got to know someone who has the gear. You got to know someone who has the four track. You got to know someone who can twiddle knobs while you while you learn how to play. I think that um maybe it could be a more isolating experience now i know that i do a lot of home recording now by myself and it is a very isolating experience kind of one man band stuff where i do it to you know fly my freak flag so to speak and i do it to sort of indulge myself (laughs) and and i have this idea that i'm making something for people to hear but i also have this idea that the real arbiter of this is my own taste um uh and and i don't know sometimes i i wonder I wonder what that does to somebody if they have all that at their fingertips. But I think that what would probably happen is there's so many more ways now of connecting and putting it online and, and, and making it available. And if you really want to, yep. you can, you can find your subculture, you can find your people through expressing yourself. So maybe the fact that it's at everyone's fingertips does not take away from the fact that there are still people, you know, swapping songs online and, and, you know, linking yep. to each other's clips and stuff. So I, I guess it could be more isolating, but also in a way more connected, uh, than what I was used to. Right. Right. The global, a global audience. Yeah. And I think that also the way that you can become an instant expert now of, of any idea, like any band, you can just look them up and know everything about them. And I, I, you know, I have been back and forth in my head about that. Like, mm-hmm. am I, am I a little nostalgic for my day when you had a picture on a sleeve and that was all you oh. knew about the band. And yeah. so there was this mystery to them versus now where you can, you can believe that you can consume every fact and know every bit of mm-hmm. trivia as opposed to yep. just letting it sweep over you. So, so I don't know which is actually better. I like being informed, but, <laughs> but I do remember really enjoying that sort of, Staring at the record sleeve, laying on the floor, right. listening to the album, and just wondering, what the right. hell? Where are these people from? Are they from the moon? You know, what's going on? Yeah, like a band like, um, I recently read, um, I don't know, have you ever read any of those 33 and a third uh, books? Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, uh, I recently read the Bell and Sebastian, If You're Feeling Sinister, uh, 33 and a third. Are you familiar with Bell and Sebastian? Yeah, I like that record a lot. Fox in the snow. Yeah, I don't know if you were into them back in the day. I mean, I that album came out in '97. Um, I didn't hear it till maybe 2000. But uh, a band like them, the way they were back then, a band like that could not exist. They were intentionally mysterious and didn't release a promo photo till like they were like five albums into their career. Like, nobody knew what they looked like unless you went to a show, and they very rarely played shows. So, like, you pretty much had to live in Scotland to know what these guys looked like. And furthermore, their 
their album covers would be these photos of sort of just regular people. So it had this enigmatic quality of, is that the band? That that looks like a kid. You know, right. who is that? Is right. that the band? Is that the singer when he was a kid? Yeah. And then the sleeves would have these weird stories in them, like these little stories more than like any sort of solid information. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're uh, they're they're a fascinating band to me. Um, I'm not as obsessed with them, uh, you know, to do enough to do a podcast about them, but they are a pretty interesting band to me. Um, while they might be giants, on the other hand, actually talk about the the band at hand. Get back to uh, what this podcast is about, which is literally just it's just should be called. This might be a tangent. Um, they in the '80s were pretty good at getting themselves out there. They were very innovative in oh, getting yeah. themselves out there. And this kind of brings me to a point about, um, I guess, you know, modern recording and new recording to, to loop back around to They Might Be Giants. One thing I'm kind of bummed about is that, yeah, we're getting, we got a dial-a-song song every Wednesday for all of 2018. But dial-a-song songs now sound like studio-quality recordings. And that's awesome. But the episodes that I do... Like, for example, this song, um, there is no grainy, weathered cassette version of them, like, yelling this into an answering machine, (laughs) you know? And that's kind of a bummer sometimes. I was thinking the same thing um, with regard to this song, that all that's missing from this kind of... um uh, I don't know. Let's you know it's it's power pop. Let's call it that. I think there's a point sure. where after they went to the full band, when when they when when they went from a duo to a a, a five piece with varying members, and it just became this bigger enterprise. They sort of revealed themselves to be this sort of uh, I guess a top notch pop power pop band at that point. And mm-hmm. um and and as great as that is, and as wonderful as those heights can be, and as as interesting as they still manage to make the arrangements within that idea, you do sometimes look back and think they, you lost the possibility of what that band would have become had they continued to make music without kind of going in this more regular direction. Now I I can see what the temptation of that was, and I can see what a great gift it is to some songwriters to have a a backing band instead of having to come up with all the instrumentation themselves all the time. I'm sure it opened the, the, horizons of what uh, Flansburg and Linnell could do with their songwriting. But as a listener, it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. And it is strange that they seem loath to want to release any of those, what might be more revealing recordings. Like, I don't doubt that there is some kind of laptop demo of uh, Kana Jahari that uh, John Linnell did yeah. that might be really odd and it might not quite work, but he thinks we don't want to hear that. And I think there's a lot of us that, that that's actually what we most want to hear. But I, I don't, uh-huh. I don't want to be sitting here pining for some imagined thing, but I know what you mean. I had that same thought and it made me feel very much like I was the, the protagonist of the song because he seems to be sort of, pining for something that he's imagined maybe he <laughs> he remembers as a great thing or something that may have existed so um yeah I, I do sometimes think with these later songs i would love to hear whatever the most rudimentary version of that was just what was the know, the basis of the idea so this song before we officially started the episode i said how i can never like say i can sing the name of the song but whenever i try to say it i cannot say it correctly and i actually and i can never spell it type it out so my file here on my Ableton software, the file name is tmbp dash Kanajahar Najidi. 
is is some it's something like that. It's got like three extra syllables and two J's for some reason. Um, so what do you know about this strange word? What does it all mean, John? Wikipedia is where we all go. So I don't know yep. if this is what, what what you found too, but it, it appears to be a Mohawk word, and it says it it is said to be a Mohawk language term meaning the pot that washes itself which is a reference to the Kanajahari boiling pot, which is a circular gorge in the Kanajahari Creek just south of the village. And the village is an old village that used to be a Mohawk village that then uh, there was a, a settlement that took that name nearby. And that's kind of a grim thought <laughs> that there's a, a settlement mm-hmm. that is now a current American city that took its name from a nearby Mohawk uh, settlement or a city. And um, then that village is itself is itself part of a larger township called Kanajahari in New York. And it seems to neighbor uh, the Catskills, which is an area that at least we know the, uh-huh. the Johns spend time now. Summer homes are supposedly are, yeah. are owned there. I know I've heard lots of references to Flansburg being up in the Catskills. So I don't know if... Well, um, here, on the wiki, here on the wiki, it says uh, Kanajahari is a town in upstate New York, approximately 20, 25 miles north of the Catskill Mountains, where John Flansburg and John Linnell both have summer homes. Okay, so they both have summer Summer homes there. It's funny to picture them vacationing near each other. <laughs> so sick of that guy. No, I, what I think is kind of interesting about that is it, it leads you to believe that maybe they just saw the sign, uh, you know, for the exit, or maybe they've been there. That you, so you don't know if this is a, a word association game uh, for John Linnell, uh, who I presume is the one who wrote this song. That's Yes, that's what the credits say yeah but um the other part of that would be you don't know if he has a real personal association with it is this a, is it just is it just a word that he thought was a cool inspiration for a song because you know they like to do that they like to take just a notion and kind of just take that whatever is a um a thing that jump starts an idea for a song they yep. so it could just be the word it could be the name it could be they they know something about the place it could be that this narrative in the song actually has something to do with the childhood memory from that area i don't know but i love the the fact that it is connected to a real place and that you can read about kanajahari in its various iterations and believe you know something about what the song is about but none of that really seems to be what the song is about you know it doesn't really seem to be about a small town in upstate new york or a mohawk word or a mohawk uh, city so well while we're talking about the word itself i mean i would like to say that the the Wikipedia Wikipedia article um, on on this word says you know all the, the a lot of the stuff you just said about uh, so the, the Upper Castle Historic District and it's designated a national historic landmark listed on the National Register of Historic Places. There's an Indian Castle Church built in 1769 for the Mohawk by Sir William Johnson, the British Superintendent of Indian Affairs. I'm sure he was lovely to them. Um, <laughs> so, and it's just got like, I don't know, less than a hundred words written. And then in popular, in popular culture referenced by the MIP giants in there. Come join us. They're on the, the Wikipedia. So, uh, that's fun. Uh, but it, you know, I usually don't jump to the interpretations tab on the wiki this early in the episode, but there is someone, um, who the very first listed interpretation on the wiki. I don't know if you ever go look at these. I actually did read through them all today before this because I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing some concrete imagery. And I, I read, right, uh, there right. were some interesting thoughts, uh, but I didn't see any one interpretation that really seemed to, um, really seemed to settle my idea of what the song is. They all seem very speculative. Well, the one I want, yeah, well, and that's what this podcast is for. Let's make our own speculations. Uh, so, but the one I wanted to bring up was really uh, more in sound, uh, 
sonic elements than lyrical interpretation. Someone says, does this song remind anyone else of Louisiana and to a lesser extent Montana? The elongated one-word chorus... And then they do bring up the lyrical thing, someone trying to kill the narrator. But uh, so, And then someone replies to it, this could definitely pass for a state song. It has a similar sound and energy to it. Replace Kanan Jahari with any five-syllable state name or place name, I suppose you could say. Louisiana was a b-side wasn't it yeah it was a b-side on, on that on that crazy um the, the vinyl that, that i had crazy single that was shaped like a yeah i got that too it's it's a great song yeah yeah shaped like the united states which my record player does not like to play because the arm has to go really far in yes it does to get to the little circle and my record player constantly just wants to bounce the arm back that's the end of the record i can't see i can't identify exactly who's responsible but i know where i am and so i know They're big, pretty, for lack of a better word, Linnell compositions. You know, there's some, there's, yep, he's, he's yep. got these cascading melodies. Mm-hmm. Like Montana in particular yeah. has a giant chorus, you know. Yeah, oh God, I love that song. And it started with a feeling that ended in a leg. And it seemed to me Montana was a leg. A leg. Uh, Linnell almost has like like he has a, a reedy quality to his voice is the way I always describe yes. it and you could say it's almost like a bagpipe in a song like this or like Montana where he just has this long droning like because bagpipes typically or songs that or that lend themselves to bagpipe um, it isn't like it's usually like like these really long legato melodies that like almost like like the guys have to take a breath at some point but there's not a whole lot of little staccato notes it's just these really long meandering melodies um and so I would like to pose this to the Twitter nation to uh uh, someone to record this on bagpipes So you may have heard my uh, my band, Outdoor Valora, our cover of Dr. Worm. Uh, I had previously um, actually done an instrumental version of Dr. Worm back when I was in college uh, for music education. For one of my composition classes, um, we had a theme and variations project. And I believe I talked about this on the Dr. Worm episode. That feels like ages ago. Um, and there was no recording made of it that I can find, but it was... So are, are you familiar with the with the, the writing, classical writing uh, technique of theme and variations? Basically, you take any theme, like, a, like a, 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 a real composer would essentially write their own theme, like it would be this, this melody and harmonic progression, and then as the, as the piece, the composition goes on, they would be, I mean, like any good composer will play with their themes, but like the intention is that, you know, the song will shift and eventually get very drastically away from the source content, still using little bits of it, and then usually work its way back to the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did a theme of variations on Dr. Worm, which had, I think it had a variation where it went into three, four. I mean, for one, it was sort of very weird instrumentation. I'm pretty sure it had French horn, bassoon, clarinet. 
I don't know. It was like a little quartet of basically like my friends in the class. I'm like, who wants to be on mine? And it was just, you know, whoever was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And so I had like a three, four variation. It probably had like a, um, um, a ballad version or something like that. So like all these variations went through and I wish I had a recording of it, but, um, cause I think Dr. Worm is, uh, like that. It's that one of those Linnell melodies that just, you don't need the lyrics. It's like the lyrics are awesome and fun, but the song fucking rocks even instrumentally. Mm-hmm. And I can say that about a lot of Flansburg songs too. I mean, I say that about, you know, the majority of their songs in general. I mean, I'm having trouble thinking one off the top of my head right now that wouldn't sound good, like taking out the lyrics. I mean, I think melody is definitely one of the, what's the old, it's the three power spheres of They Might Be Giants. It was melody, uh, fidelity, and quantity. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they have always been, that's one of the reasons why they're so catchy and one of the reasons why their music is so fun to listen to is because the melodies just reach out and grab you. But there is a particular kind of melody that is worth talking about that is more Linnellian in this case because he's the he's kind of the one who writes this particular kind of song. I mean, they, they, there's a certain genre within the band of big giant Linnell pop song. Mm-hmm. His voice is a sonic element. Their, their voices have always been part of the sound of the band. And so much so that it's like, if you like their voices, you'll probably really like this band. And if you don't like their voices, well, <laughs> sorry. Fuck off. Yeah, their voices are all <laughs> over this shit. Um, so yeah, I think that like on top of the fact that you could take the lyrics away from a song like this and it would be beautiful, I think the fact that these lyrics are maybe not among the most sincere or the most poignant, I, but I do think that these lyrics are marked by being very sincere and poignant in a way, and then also having that that great... Uh, you know, there's you can kind of follow the breadcrumbs as far as what the definition of what the song is is doing uh, lyrically mm-hmm. is, but you can't exactly categorize it. You, you can approach their songs like they're riddles, but even if you do that and you think you've solved it, there's almost always some conceit or some lyrical idea in there that throws a wrench into whatever your your riddle solution is. So, I think they uh, this is this is a great song to, to me that hits both spots. It's got the great music and the great melody, but it's also um, it's lyrically you can really dig into it and you can find a lot of inner meanings yeah. and things that kind of contradict each other and some things that complement each other. Let's get into the lyrics. Cause would you say that's the main reason that you picked this song or what, what, uh, I mean, let's really get into that. We've been talking for almost an hour here. There's so many great songs that, I mean, obviously I'm sure everyone who's chosen one has had a certain amount of remorse about the ones they didn't. <laughs> the uh, ones that got away. But this was one that I didn't think got talked about that much. Yeah. And, and for me at the time, it was one of the songs I was so excited about on that album and and um, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't a single in a way. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when... So I I love... I mean, I love their recent stuff almost as much or as much as, as any of the old stuff, any of the classic stuff. Like, on occasion, you'll find people that, you know, prefer duo era to full band era or whatever, or, oh, I dropped off after Factory Showroom or, you know, whatever. You know, right. you know, I, you know, I got older, I had a family or I just, you know, whatever, found some other favorite band and kind of forgot about them. Uh, so I like these ones that I know from my youth, you know, there's all different kinds of reasons. Um, but I think, I mean, for one, like us super fans, like if you're in the miscellaneous T Facebook group and you're like, man, I like fun really sucked. Like they would lynch you. They would like people... And I love that album, and it's a great fucking album. And I will 
I will shout my love, you know, from the rooftops for Mink Car, the Else. I mean, those are two of my like top five. You know, I'm, I mean, if you force me to list, which you know, why wouldn't I? Listing is fun. Um, <laughs> you want you want I, to tell me your top five? I don't. I actually don't know from listening to the show. What are your top five? Oh, I know. I've been trying to to the, these episodes haven't necessarily been posting in the date, uh, the order that they were recorded, because I'm trying to split up like repeat guests. I'm trying to split up the albums a little bit, songs from different albums. Um, I would say my favorite uh, album is Apollo 18, which uh, t- to me is as good as Flood and a little bit darker, which is why I like it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail because this episode will be like three hours long. Um, but it's also the first one I heard. So th- that's always something. Like, it really stuck with me and always has. Um, and then I would say Lincoln is my second favorite. Uh, short answer being that it's where they really figured out how to be They Might Be Giants, where on the first album it was like pop songs, weird songs, pop songs, weird song, pop song, weird song. Uh, and then on Lincoln it was like, Here's the weirdness within a pop song. Mm-hmm. Here's one that's got a little pop and a lot of weird. Here's one that's got a little weird and a lot of pop, but they were combining it a lot better. So Lincoln, I'd say, is my second favorite. Um, third, you know, I might go with Mink Car. It was an album that came out when I was in college, and being, you know, having my own dorm room, being able to blast music as loud as I wanted to, I mean, that album got a shitload of play from me um and then i might put the else and i think the else is kind of a weird uh outlier for a lot of people because it's like the one album where essentially they were co-producers i mean they've always had engineers that worked with them but it's i believe it's the only they might be giants album that doesn't say produced by they might be giants it says produced by they might be giants and the dust brothers you know on certain tracks and i i fucking love it because it's almost like it's almost like their most punky, like grungy album in a way, because the drums like really dominate, even when it's drum machine, um, and the guitars are often louder. Like I've heard people complain about it, saying, "Oh, the guitars are too loud." I'm like, "They're a rock band. <laughs> They're a rock that's band." That's not a complaint. <laughs> that's not a complaint. That's that's you're telling me the reason why I like the album, not why to dislike the album. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You don't like Flansburg? Come on. Yeah. You don't like Dan Miller? Um, so let's see. What was that? Number four. Oh, Jesus. Number five. Um, this is where things start flip-flopping depending on what day of the week you catch me. Um, the problem is they're all good. I'd probably go I'd probably go Nanobots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love John Henry. I love. I mean, I think some of the newer ones almost have an advantage by being new. Mm-hmm. Um, nanobots, you know, being new in the grand scheme of things, you know, nanobots is like what six years old. I don't know. It's uh not that new, but it has so many bangers. Like just you're on fire. Nanobots lost my mind. Call you mom. Uh, circular karate chop. Stone cold coup d'état. Like and then all the little short ones that kind of harken back to my number one album, Apollo eighteen. <laughs> so, uh. Do you want to go ahead through your top five real quick? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, there's so many albums where when you hear someone else name them, you go, 
Oh yeah, that's actually a really good one too. That should be on my top five. Maybe it should. But when I right. was thinking about being on here, it's funny that I ended up with a list of five. I thought, oh, he might ask me what my favorite album is. And I was like, before you even finish saying the sentence, I would be saying Lincoln because Lincoln is probably my favorite album that anybody ever made ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, um, I think that my love for Lincoln, you know, that meme of the guy walking down the street and he's with He's with the girl and there's a girl yep. and he's looking at one and you can label the meme for whatever subject, you know, you can have, have it say, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes feel like the, the girlfriend is Lincoln and flood is the woman walking by <laughs> because, um, <laughs> I, every time I, I, Lincoln's been my favorite and I've said that for decades, you know, but every time I listen to flood, I go, yeah, this is a really good album. This is a really strong album. And it's only because it's kind of the Sergeant Pepper of the band. Right. That, like that's the one people point to. And if you say Flood's your favorite, it'd be like saying your favorite song is Istanbul, you know, um, which is not a bad thing right. to say, but it does not it does not indicate that little... you've dug into the band yeah. very much. Right, right, right. right so right. I, so I will say obvious. that Lincoln and Flood are kind of neck and neck for me. And then I think John Henry, um, Join Us and I Like Fun, actually, would be my rounding out my top five but any of the ones you nice. mentioned could easily be in there and i really think the first album belongs in there in a way because i love i, I give a lot of credit to the first of anything um but lincoln right, i think you're right. right i think that's the one where they they it was like the, they, they beat the sophomore slump you know they, they came back with an album oh, that yeah. showed that they weren't a one one-off and it wasn't a joke band and the songs were so strong. But I do think that there's that duo versus full band idea that some people have. I, I, I will never let go of that shock of discovery of what they were when I first heard them on, on those early albums. But I love the fact mm-hmm. that right now they've got this this unit of musicians that can do just about anything they want to do. So um, yep. I, that's yep. why I think I Like Fun is such an exciting record. I think the band is just in great form. And I think that's also true of Join Us, which obviously is the... The album mm-hmm. we're kind of focusing on because of Kenna Johari, but like that song sounds so tight and so good, and it's just listen to how great that band sounds. Danny Weinkoff's bass oh, this sounds, sounds amazing awesome. on this song. This is- so good. Yeah, this whole record, I do agree that this is like, and I think so. I've I've already recorded an episode. Uh, so Scott, my friend Scott Curry, who is on the by the time you get this episode, uh, in the same night we recorded an episode on Can't Keep Johnny Down. Uh, so that one, he's had to wait a long time to hear that one because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to split these two up, man. You know, you're, you're on two episodes right away. Um, same thing happened with, uh, Abby. Uh, she recorded two at once too. So her Duncan, of course, of course, is, is going to wait a little bit. Um, Ooh, but, a good song. oh yeah. So we were talking about the production and I mentioned something that Scott didn't realize was that <clears throat> they were coming off of two, two kids albums in a row when they did join us so they did uh the else um well it it is kind of funny how they did here come the abc's their second kids album and then the else like one of their darkest like semi-political or at least political inspired uh dark albums and then they're like let's do two more kids albums here come the one two threes and here comes science so then it had actually been quite a, a gap between adult Adult, you know, whatever, regular, whatever you want to call yeah. non non kids <laughs> albums. So it went from 2007 to 2011, which for a lot of bands, they take four years to put out an album. But in this case, they didn't take four years to put out an album. They just were four years between their grown up albums, and for them, that's a long time. And there's stuff on the the wiki 
um, from the album uh, on the album uh, wiki page where it talks about them being kind of conscious of that. Um, Flansburg said in, in, in 2011, he's like, with the beginning of this record, we were kind of staring at the blank page a little bit, intimidated by what we wanted to do. When we started They Might Be Giants, there was something singular about our point of view. We wanted to get back to our beginner's mind about the elements we're combining. So to me, that almost harkens back to, I mean, obviously the self-titled, but maybe they're wanting to make uh, another Lincoln. I mean, obviously they don't want to retread, but kind of get their minds back into that mindset. And especially after um, doing two kids albums, um, that those power pop elements like are really strong in the kids albums. So they couldn't help but uh, write a shitload of really great power pop songs Mm -hmm. for join us. But they were also intentionally wanting to reset their minds into like grown up arty uh, artsy pop kind of mode. Which I think is what makes this album so strong. It was like a definite like shift, like shifting back to grown up albums, uh, shifting back to like an old way of thinking, and intentionally um, like coming at it as a singular album. This is how we're going to do it. Let's do it, kind of thing, rather than just like, oh, we wrote a bunch of songs and now they're on an album. You know? No, I, I definitely think that, and I think. You, you you sometimes listen to an album and you try to decide is this a concept album or is it a mood album or something like I like fun has a kind of paranoid apocalyptic feel to it in a way right. but that's not really true of all the songs but it, it's definitely there there's a there's an urgency and a and maybe a paranoia to it and I think this album does have that especially musically it's unified by this idea that they were seeking out arrangements with this five piece band um, that would harken back to the adventurousness and the exuberance of those old records. And that's one of the reasons why I still rank Lincoln so high is because you listen to that and it just jumps out of the speakers at you. It's got that, that quality. Um, and I think I, you know, I, I, I totally heard that. I heard him say that before the album came out, that this was a little bit of a back to basics thing, but for a band that's done so many odd things, what does back to basics even mean? Yeah. But when I heard it, I thought, Oh, I kind of know what they mean. This sounds kind of exciting and interesting. And it sounds like, this backing band has finally, to me, a guy who fell in love with the duo version, you know, the guy who back in uh, 1987 right. saw the Don't Let's Start video on uh, one afternoon on MTV, they played it, and then Kevin Seal, <laughs> MTV VJ, came on, and, and after playing the video, he called Dial-A-Song on the air, and they played Shoehorn with Teeth. <sighs> And he kind of chuckled about it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Imagine MTV doing that now. You know, that wouldn't happen. No, no. God, I'm so God, I'm so excited. I'm doing the, the first live episode, uh, which will uh, have been released before this. I'm, <laughs> it'll be released uh, immediately after recording. But that's on uh, February 23rd. Um, Don't Let's Start is the, the song that we're doing a live episode for because it deserves a roundtable. I've got a six-person roundtable. Um, well, me and five guests and uh, a live taping and I'm really excited to hear stories like like that like I've got people uh, I mean it's uh, not a huge age range but I'm hoping to to get some stories like that um, like you just said like I yeah, calling dial a song live on I mean I don't know it was MTV live mm-hmm. uh, I guess not but I think it know, might have been but either way it was that's so cool it was definitely them backing this band that was a New York thing and they thought they were kind of cool and um 
And, you know, I saw that video and I was, it's not like I was taping or anything. And I spent months going around asking everybody going, you know, I was 14. I was going, you know, Christmas was coming up. And I remember saying to my mom, they might be giants, mom. I think that was the name of this band. And she couldn't find it anywhere. And it was as though, I mean, again, I'm starting to feel like this protagonist in Kana Jahari. I was, go, I was walking around trying to explain <laughs> to people what I'd seen on MTV that day. And there was a song and it went like this. And, you know, there were little mentions of them in Spin and Rolling Stone. But I remember it was the following February. So it was like four or five months later that I that I was shopping with my mom and she let me go across the parking lot to a record store. And, um, and I just, I saw, it was a place called Turtles Music and I saw the, the Pink album and I flipped out. It was like something I'd seen in a dream turned out to be real, <laughs> you know? And it's hard to believe, but when I, when I put on the tape and listened to it, when it finally got to Don't Let Start, how, how much I remembered that tune, how much I had been humming for yeah. months not exactly wow. right, but it was it was indelible, and it just makes me think of how often those um, those old dial a song songs that people heard one time on the phone, and then thirty years later they're still they still love it, you know. And so, yeah, um, the, yeah. these songs are made to have an instant impact. Yeah, um, fucking a. So yeah, yeah. and it, it, honestly, it's funny that you say that. Don't let start deserves the. Uh, the round table because for me it is like oh there was my life before i saw the don't let start video and then there was my life afterwards <laughs> because there was no question it was my favorite thing i had ever discovered for myself that hadn't been handed down to me like the beatles or something like that right 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 yeah i'm 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 very excited i mean um and i didn't get into the band like i said till apollo 18 but i mean obviously you go back and then you know i started just ravenously you know consuming the three albums prior well, that's and, still very um, early for a band that now has had 18 yeah. albums since then. <laughs> so, right, right. I know. I feel like, oh, I was a latecomer to the band. It was 1993. It was between Apollo 18 and John Henry. Yeah, but but getting in as as a fan uh, in the duo era, like at this point, um, that's that is incredibly early. And I I'm starting to get younger guests on the show. Abby Bash just turned 21. I just well, God bless uh, her. did an episode. Yes, I just did an episode with Matt Osborne, who is in college right now. He, I believe, is 20. Um, I may be getting that wrong, but he's college age. So very young. And Abby talks about on the uh, George Storm Minotaur episode how Phone Power was the first album she heard, and my brain nearly exploded. I was like... (laughs) What? Phone Power? That just came out yesterday, didn't it? (laughs) But what a great album to hear (laughs) out of the blue, you know? That's got some really great tracks on it. Yeah, it's a wacky one to get into first, because, I mean, we considered it an album, but, you know, it's it's a dial-a-song collection, and I do think, you know, it deserves to be called a full album, but it is, uh, it's an odd duck uh, amongst a whole slew of odd ducks in their catalog, Um yeah, and then and then uh, Matt, the first stuff he had heard was the kids' songs, and it sounded like he hadn't. I'm trying to remember. He hadn't necessarily grown up on them, um, but he had a friend. Like when he was like ten, he heard "Here Comes Science" or something like that. Um, same goes for Rachel Jones. She, her science teacher had played songs from "Here Comes Science" in her science classes in middle school, and I'm like, I'm like, wait, th- but that's like a new album, and I'm like, oh wait, no, that's nine years old. <laughs> this is a nine-year-old album like to you and i we were already adults nine years ago mm-hmm. but to them they were these these they're still like kids you know to us they were they were kids literally when the kids albums were existing the first kids album came out when i was in college so i was already like well i'm not a kid i don't know well say my pajamas i'm gonna buy no anyway sure you know i'm gonna buy it <laughs> it's so god it's it's really been making me feel so old but it's also 
been making me so hopeful for the future of humanity that people continue to get into such an amazing band and it's not just like a dinosaur band yeah. where it's a renewable it's like, resource okay dad right exactly and what a great time to become a fan like can you imagine like for 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 you and i like yeah you could I mean, really, by the time I got into them, I don't know if MTV was really even playing them by then. I mean, Real World came around a couple of years after, you know, then then they're like, hey, we're just going to do reality shows. Uh, But, like, you could turn on the radio and maybe hear them on an alternative station. You could call Dial-A-Song if it wasn't a busy signal. But really, you had, like, those couple of albums that had been released, and that's it. You know, they they were putting on an album every two years, so it's still a pretty good clip. And maybe some EPs and stuff. But, like... To get into the band in, like, 2018, (laughs) there's a new song by this band every week. Get a load of this band. Holy cow. There's just, like, content just firing at you constantly. And they've been a band for 35 years. But if you jumped in now, it wouldn't be like, well, you got to check out their 80s stuff. That's where it's at. It's be like, no, you got to check out what's happening right now because this is is great stuff right now. Yeah, you could... um... You could busy yourself with the last few years of output and and then be like, do I need to listen to these other 15 albums? You know, which ones are the good ones? I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But I do think it's interesting Overwhelming. that that catalog has got to be one that will, st- I mean, eventually, I don't know that there'll ever be vindication for, for them in terms of what they've been able to do and how good they are. But I do think that the work speaks for itself. There's a, a, so much great mm-hmm. stuff and they have never... St- uh, I mean, I remember there was something they put online. This was years ago now, but it was a little thing that it said, no rehabs, no reunions. This may have been when the band had been together for 25 or 30 years, which now is, yeah. you know, just a blip. Um, but I saw that and I thought, you know, the, outside of maybe shaming people who've had uh, addiction issues, that statement is it, it just it just it really stands out to me as what makes this band special is they, they seem like they just have this crazy work ethic and they've been their friendship is the foundation of it. And yeah. they have not overstressed their friendship, it doesn't seem. They, they, By all reports, they see each other mostly when they're working together on this stuff. So it's this great friendship working project. You're a musician. You've got a lot of things going on. I'm sure you have the same thing I have, which is if I meet somebody and I see that they play the spoons or something, I'm like, maybe, yeah. I, need a, maybe I need a spoon player. Let's put on a show. You know, There's yeah, this yeah. attitude of like, let's work together. So I have this system in my life of these friendships that are based around collaboration and creativity so i really relate to that idea and i think that might be the thing somehow they've managed to keep that that home fire burning and as long as they have each other there to say it's incredible to say like oh that's good i think that there's there's this self-contained thing that they have that is not it's not utterly timeless but they don't at any point sound like they're too connected to an era for me right 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 uh i think (laughs) The no rehab, no reunions. Maybe what they're saying is just that they refuse to go to rehab for their coffee addictions. <laughs> no decaf, to make no me reunions. Go to re- <laughs> yeah, they tried to make me drink some decaf. I said no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, now sadly she's dead. How how fucking ironic is it? I mean, that's a whole other. That's a whole completely unrelated tangent. Yeah, about yeah, someone should start a podcast about the Twenty Seven Club. Honestly. Um, that would be very interesting, though very sad and alarming. Um, well, that actually is not a bad idea, though, if you wanted there to. There you go. Have at it. I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy with this thing. <laughs> to, all, to all you listeners out there, someone feel free to run with that, because there's, there's a lot of content there. I mean, even there's there's enough musicians to... You could do a couple of years of episodes just on 
you know, if you split up the the big deaths, big you know, the more popular people that died at 27 with, there's plenty of, you know, lower level uh, underground rock and uh, lesser known or backing members that have died at 27. I mean, if you, I mean, there's a Wikipedia page on it. It's it's really kind of kind of freaky in a way, and I'm glad I've made it 10 years past that. <laughs> I was wondering about with the 27 again, coffee thing. Coffee is my only vice too. Is that 27 thing, though, the only thing I wondered is, is it distorted? It, could you do the same thing with 28 and 26? You know what I mean? Like, it, or does it just um, really seem like it? There's some pretty high-profile ones in that 27 category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people started to notice it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, for one, I mean, it started so long ago. I mean, you know, with, within, within the timeline of rock and roll. I mean, you. I, I'm not gonna get into like you know Elvis didn't really invent rock and roll, but let's just say you know 1954 was when like rock and roll as a phrase started happening with like Bill Haley and his comments or whoever else, whoever that was first coined for. Um, th- that's not something I'm gonna research right now on the air, but uh, let's just say you know. So then by the late 60s, you know, just like maybe 15 years later, you know, rock has flourished into this. You know, you got the whole summer of love thing. You got all the you know the the drug culture, happy drugs, and all of a sudden drugs are starting to kill off musicians. Uh, like it's starting to you know, you know, coming home to roost or whatever is the phrase you might use. That uh, this uh, stuff that seems to be fueling the rock uh, uh, world is now killing the rock world, and all of these up and comers like they're they're old enough to get a couple albums out, and then they get enough money, and then have enough free time to do a bunch of drugs and fucking die young tragically. It's uh something about the the late twenties, like they've they've you know, they've mastered their instrument or their songwriting craft. They've they've worked their way up. They've gotten famous. Now they have money. Now they're doing drugs and now they're dead by twenty seven. Like I think it's like just that 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 timeline. Um the late twenties yeah, either you you haven't made it as a musician and you're not rich enough and maybe you do drugs anyway, but when you die no one's heard of you. Uh or um I'm not really sure what the the larger point I'm getting at is here, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying that's really freaky and uh horrible and I have never done any drugs in my life and consider myself uh to be happily like the Johns drinking my coffee here and caffeine is my only addiction with the exception of maybe like you know, candy. I like sugar and uh, sugar and greasy food, and I'm not a healthy eater by any means, but I do not do any drugs. <laughs> so, but this is a good opportunity to get back on topic. Uh, <laughs> though I'm not cutting any of that out. That's gold. Uh, you know, I honestly haven't had anyone complain about the length of episodes. Most people are like, oh, you talk for 90 minutes? Awesome. That's a lot to listen to. People talk about They Might Be Giants. And even if it's like just tangentially, um, you know, I I should do some exclusives on like just coffee. (laughs) Well, I know that when I'm listening to something like that, I might sometimes look at a runtime and go, I'm not ready to to dive into this right now. But then other times when you are ready, it's great that it, you know, you're sometimes you'll still be surprised it's over so soon if it's a subject that's interesting so yeah hopefully we're just not being boring so <laughs> oh us us never no never not us we're we're great conversationalists did you see the clip of danny and marty doing a rhythm section tracking for this oh my mm-hmm. god i've got the burps all of a sudden have you seen that clip yeah 
yeah. Uh, so it's it's very short. I mean, it's almost like, yeah, I don't know, was Vine around back then? It's almost like, you know, like, oh, we only got 30 seconds. Let's uh, take a little video and post it. Or they're just intentionally trying to tease or whatever. So there's 30 seconds. To those who haven't seen it, I'll, I'll drop in a clip. I think the audio is worth hearing. But really, mm-hmm. you should go watch it. Um, I think what would be the best way to find this? I mean, there's a link to it from the wiki about this song. Um, but I mean, I guess we also should mention that apparently the song was written for the else after that whole discussion, we talked about, uh, how I made the whole point about, Oh, that's after the kids albums. And then I scroll through the wiki and I'm like, Oh, it was written for the else. There goes my whole argument. <laughs> um, but, but let me just play this clip here published on, uh, Oh, well, this is self-called nowhere. This is not official. Is it this YouTube site? But I mean, it was before the album came out. Obviously they're in the, the studio 25 seconds long. Uh, it kind of pans from, I'm not sure who's holding the camera, but it pans from, uh, across the room. We've got, well, I think Linnell is maybe in the, in the back corner or Dan Miller is someone. The video is not the greatest quality cell phone video from 2011. Um, but pans through the control room. You got the guy at the boards, I'm not sure if that's Pat Dillett, maybe. Um, and then it pans into the r- the room, and they've got Marty playing the drums at the same time as Danny's playing the bass. You know, Danny's probably lined in. Um, you know, I doubt he's blasting an amp into the room. That wouldn't make any sense for recording. But they're recording the rhythm section at the same time, which was interesting to see because I've done a lot of live recordings at my studio for bands that come in on a budget. And I do find that a fun challenge and a way to really, you know, a band that has, has, you know, skills can kick out an album real quick if they know what they're doing before they walk in the door, you know, recording things at the same time. Now, here's just mm-hmm. bass, and tr- bass and drums, but typically, you know, most rock albums, especially anything that sounds really slick or is, you know, has a budget everything's recorded separately and they're spending days and days and days on just the drums and they're spending days and days on just the bass. So to see these two guys in there hashing it out together was pretty awesome to see and pretty revealing because I hadn't seen this clip. Like I didn't see it when, when the album was coming out, I missed it. Um, so I just saw it for the first time today. Had you seen it before the album came out or in your research now? I remember when they released that clip. I don't remember how I saw it, but I do remember getting that glimpse and going, "Ooh, what's this?" And because the name stuck in my mind, and um, and I believe I saw that they maybe played that song at like it was on a couple of set lists before the album came out. So I think it was one of those songs that maybe was just if they wrote it for the else that that would explain why. Um, maybe yeah. it was a song that was in the hopper for a while, and then and then. They recorded this this clip, but yeah, it was like that was the beginning of Flansburg using. I assume it's. I always assume it's Flansburg sharing stuff online, but that was the beginning of him using this kind of technology of let's share a glimpse, let's give you a little, yeah, a little. You know, like they, they'll do that from time to time. You'll see someone tracking just the one part, and so you get this glimpse of a song. You can't really learn much from it, but you can obviously if you know this song and you watch that clip, um, you can tell what's going on there. Right, but, right, right. But, but, but yeah, just apropos of nothing, it was just this right. this look at a song, and you kind of you try to glean something from it you go okay wait what you know what kind of song is this going to be yeah yeah so so now that yeah, then i've been reminded that it was written for the else um i have a, a live clip i want to play here i'm not sure if you would have seen this one they played uh this is published by tmbg stuff on october 2nd 2010 of them performing 
It says, TMBG performs a new song for a live webcast recorded in Washington, D.C., and this is at the Kennedy Center. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've been working really hard on a brand new album. Uh, this is uh, one of the songs that's going to be on it. It's new. It's called Kenajahari. And so th- that's pretty cool because, okay, so October 2nd, 2010, uh, and this album came out, what was the date exactly? Um... Okay, well, they're saying, according to the wiki, Kenan Jahari was first played September 24th, 2010. So I guess they wrote it for the else, but never played it live. Um, so, because this, this apparently is like a week after the first performance, uh, they're starting to hash it out. And then the album was released uh, in 2011 on July 19th. So they were really only playing it for you know like eight months before it came out. But uh, I think it's it's pretty well formed in this live video. I mean, I'm guessing they probably would have already recorded it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're you know, I mean, they work quickly. But if they're doing like a studio album and it's not like dial a song, I'd imagine they were taking their time with it. And they've probably recorded it probably in the tail end of 2010 and not. I mean, they could have recorded in early 2011, but albums take a long time to put together. You know, I think the interesting thing about them is with this band, I think they do work kind of fast in the studio, but I don't think the process to arrive at that arrangement is a fast process. So I don't know how much practice or rehearsal they do before they go in as a band. Obviously, they probably have a pretty worked out composition before the band hears it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so let's, let's jump to... Um, so we saw the clip of the rhythm section tracking. Uh, so there, you're not getting any lyrics. Uh, let's talk about the lyrics because we keep dancing around them. And I think we need to get into this because I think my wife just got home, but we will we will still <laughs> talk about this because it needs to be talked about. So uh, these lyrics are pretty amazing. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, when you first uh, mentioned the song to me, I'm like, what does that song sound like? I'm like, oh, it's the one where the, the I mean, it's, it, the title is extremely stretched out over the, 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 the chorus. Um, and I remember I had trouble like putting it together because for the longest time, even though I could have just looked on the back of the CD, I was like, what the fuck is he saying? <laughs> right, right. It's, if you didn't know, if you did not see, like, it's almost like if you heard that song and you were like, "What's he saying, Canada?" Da, da, da? And then you were to say, "Which song is like that?" At least you'd be able to find it on the track list because you'd go, right, "Oh yeah, right. that's definitely a word I don't know." It um, almost sounds like he's saying Canada. Yeah, Can- Canada dry. <laughs> Can- Canada harms me, maybe or something, or I don't know. Um, Just trying but, to make it into a commercial, you know, if they want to do a Canada dry commercial, <laughs> Canada dry. You know, they're not above doing that. So they uh, aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Although they've never, they've never changed one of their songs to be about some product. I guess they've written songs yeah. to order. They would write Canada dry, a whole different song. Um, yeah, but no, I think an that original the, composition about uh, ginger ale. 
Right. <laughs> I think that the, the song, though, once you hear that name and you, it kind of draws you in. I mean, I, I do think to me it sounded like a summer camp or something like that. And I didn't know what it was. And I, I still had to kind of disabuse myself of the notion that somewhere in the lyrics there was a reference to summer camp or being a kid and going to camp. And I think maybe that association crept in just because... I did hear this was the name of a of like a village in upstate New York near the Catskills, and so I thought, well, maybe that's where this the association came from. Is that maybe as a child he had spent some time in this place because that's what the song seems to be about is looking back right. and. Nostalgic. But then, if you really dig, if you really dig into that story, it's not really like a human lifespan that's being discussed, and it's not really a, a human childhood maybe that's being uh, looked back upon. Uh, and it's not really clear if this is one of those songs, as as with many, they might be giant songs. You have to at least consider. Um, that the narrator may be having a mental break of some sort. <laughs> yeah, pretty much whenever there's a They Might Be Giant song where they talk about not being insane, that's usually a pretty good indication that the narrator of the song probably is insane. <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a desperation. The, 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 the second verse where he says, um, it was right through these trees, I'm not insane. Then there's this line I just love. He says, don't look at me, look where I'm pointing. Right. Close your eyes, see what I see. But just that notion of you're, you're trying to tell someone something. Have you ever been like trying to get a dog to look where you're pointing, you know? <laughs> and you're like pointing your finger and you're kind of throwing it and the dog keeps looking back up at your face. And you're like, no, no, look, look, there, there, no. And you're like, well, I don't know if this is ever going to work. But the, it, it sounds like someone who's losing his mind like that. Like he's trying to explain something. This narrator of this song is that he cannot explain to somebody. And he wants to take people there, but he can't take them there because it's not clear that it ever really existed. <laughs> right. Um, it's just so twisted, but the, the I, I feel this. Uh, like I said, there's a there's a uh, a sad quality to this guy or this this person trying to convey something that can't be conveyed. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they've got this image in their head that they're confident is real, but they can't seem to convince anyone else that it's real. It does sound like someone in the loony bin. Like, I I swear to God, there was a a fourth shooter at the grassy knoll. And they're like, sure there was Fred. Sure there was. Here's your pills. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, looking back at your own beginnings and trying to describe it and make sense of it and sort of redefining it for yourself. I mean, they say that when, when we have a memory, we don't actually replay it. I mean, we, we rewrite it, mm. mm-hmm. you know, that the way human memory works, we have the sort of, um, false impression of our own infallibility the fact that we remember it a certain way and we're like that's how i remember it there's that lyric that's always confused me about the reconstructed fake when he's talking about the fin and this time is really Uh the first time when i was getting ready for this and i read through there's a key phrase in that part of the verse it's it's as if a fin is pulling him Uh you know he's not uh saying that it happened he's not saying that it is happening he's describing something that can't really be they can't really be described. He's saying, it's as if a fin reaching from the swamp grabbed me by the arm and tried to pull me in. So he's saying, it's like mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. was trying to pull me in. And then he says, but my arm was strong and the fin was an inaccurately reconstructed fake. So he, he, it's, that's like a metaphor for what happened, which is to say maybe memory tried to pull him back, but he was strong and he broke free. He didn't, he didn't get pulled into it. Uh-huh. Um, but he still is describing, the thing he's describing is not a personal memory. He's describing the moment when, when, uh, a mud skipper <laughs> pulled itself <laughs> up out of the swamp and, and yeah. walked across the land as if to say, this is the place. Kanajahari is the place where life decided to move up from the swamp onto the land. So there's this, 
there's this lurch forward and this evolution that the song seems to be about that doesn't seem to be his story at all, even though he's telling it like it was a very personal thing right. that it, that happened to him. Look so. at it. Don't look at me. Look where I'm pointing. It, yeah. there, there's a lot to dig in here. And I'm just, just scrolling through this. There's this line that I, I uh, that always, like there's a lot of quick rhythms in here uh, other than the very stretched out title phrase, title word. Um, and I miss some of the things that are great in this, this, they might be giants, uh, humor, the sensibility. I get the creeping feelings. All my old friends are gone and that this baby tooth no longer fits in my skull. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> such a strange thing to say. And I cannot imagine really any other band putting, putting such a lyric into a song and, that is one of the main reasons why I love this band because you hear so many lyrics where you're like, well, that was a weird thing to say. And it's just like you you love it because you're like, no other band could sing this song. You know, mm-hmm. like, can you imagine like not not someone covering this song, but can you imagine any other band writing this song? It's so bizarre, but it's also a, an amazing power pop song. Like maybe I could see another band like coming up like in an alternate universe, writing this exact song um, with different lyrics that are more normal, for lack of a better word. Like maybe there's another like great power pop band, uh, you know, maybe Fountains of Wayne did this song and they wrote it about uh, Stacy's grandma. And, and that's the, and that's the song. It's the sequel to Stacy's mom. Uh, and, but like this, these lyrics, they're so, Linnell, I mean, they're so they might be giants because Flansburg is, gets plenty weird as well with the metaphors and the weird turns of phrase. But this is just, this is a good one. I'm glad you picked it. And that's why I love doing this where the guests pick the song and I'm just like, who's available to talk? Okay, let's do it. What song are we doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess it's time to really dive back into this song that's, you know, eight years old at this point almost. I know. I think of this as a recent song, a new song. Me too. Me too. And like, it's, oh, it's you us, know, it's yeah. going on a decade old at this point. That's that's pretty crazy. We're getting old. I think this song does have a few lyrics that are very, very clear. And if, if someone were to write that more mainstream so to speak version that you were describing with this music you know i think you could have it be named kanajahari it could be about a town that someone had a memory from and there's a Mm -hmm. lyric that's very very easy to get which is call me sentimental but i want to go back and commemorate the place with a historical plaque you could you could put that in the song you were just describing yeah yeah yeah. only but only in a song by them does it then diverge into this thing that's about evolution and that it's about a mud skipper and then uh, what i said earlier about how you can treat their songs like riddles but even if you think you've solved it there's something that makes you go huh the line that makes you go huh in this song is um where a rocket ship experiment went awry when the prototype exploded on the launching site and forever Mm. i wrestled with how does that apply to this rustic memory of you know going through the woods looking for a tooth that you dropped i mean if you take that if you take if you if you dropped a tooth when you were a kid and you went back later and looked for it you're already a a nut you know um but um but like this whole thing about the rocket ship and i was like how does that apply to anything and then i thought about what the the last second of the song i know just throw it in hey by the way but uh, what i thought was interesting about that was if you think about the evolution of this mud skipper like it's, it's uh-huh. almost like the, it, it follows the line, um, 
where a front flipper first evolved on the day when a daring mudskipper dragged itself away. So, which is a, kind of a repeated image in the song. And it made me think, oh, okay, by, by the standard of, of a song that's about evolution, the process of evolution, the mudskipper succeeds, but the rocket fails. Ah. But a mudskipper hefting himself up on the land is very similar to a human jumping in a rocket, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that is an odd note to throw in, but I thought, oh, actually, thematically, it just kind of explains that, well, yeah, sometimes evolution goes one way and sometimes it goes <laughs> the other way. Um, yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he's saying he wants to go back. Yeah. You know? Right. And also, the way he's, the, when you're talking about that line being written by um, a more normal band than they might be Giants, I, I do think it could possibly be written by a more uh, normal uh, band. But uh, then you think about, okay, so if you end a line with the word back, there are many things you could rhyme with back. Back in black comes to mind, obviously. Uh, stack you know and i mean really like plaque is something that i mean other than like something that dentists say a whole lot it's not you don't hear rock bands talking about putting a plaque on some notable thing you know like just making that rhyme even though it seems like one of the most normal parts of the song it's still brainy in a way because you're talking about history and appreciating history by commemorating this uh, Kenna Jahari with a historical plaque. <laughs> right. You're also putting the word commemorate in, in a pop song chorus. You know what I mean? Yep. So that in yep. and of itself is very, uh, it's interesting that you kind of pointed this out earlier and I never really thought about it, but this is a rule of songwriting. And as a songwriter, you might know this, but I've, I've heard people say many times, like um, if you have a chorus where the notes are long, have the, the verses be more staccato and more broken up. And there are right. a lot of like quick verbal turnarounds mm-hmm. in this where when you read the lyrics, if you haven't been listening to the song a lot, when you read the lyrics, it's hard to make them map to anything. But then when you have heard it a bunch, you know, oh, this is where he speeds up. This is where he slows down. This is where he takes a breath. Um, I think that, uh, that like the narrative of this song is, is, very, um, is very clearly drawn through that sort of that difference between the verses and the chorus. The chorus has this wistful, uh, emotional, very emotional, very sentimental quality to it. That, that drawn out way he says the word. It's so like uh-huh. loving and, and I don't know, it's just, it's just so deep. It's him sinking into this kind of memory. And then the rest of it is this, again, we're back to this, this person who feels like a crazy person. They feel like, oh my God, no one understands what I'm talking about. Um, I've thought about that before. If like, if you, if you grow old and if you sort of are unlucky enough to be the last of your friends left, who the heck is going to know what you're talking about? You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to explain anything to anybody without giving them context. And imagine trying Mm. to take someone back to a place from your past and explain to them, see, this is what I'm talking about. And you almost sense the, the people listening to this character in the song as like backing away from him <laughs> as, he's, <laughs> yeah, right? as he's going on this tirade. I've always felt that <laughs> a lot. I've, I feel like I'm a very nostalgic person. And yeah. sometimes you discover that you are alone in a memory, um, something very bitter, uh, sweet, I suppose, but sometimes just bitter. And you'll see this one day you, you have a, a baby, but my yeah. son is 10 and he doesn't really remember from about, I don't know, maybe six or seven is when his memories start creeping in. Sure. Like, so there are things we did when he was five where it's like, this is the best day ever. And he and I would go and have a hike and it's a remember the yeah. sunset and then we got yeah. ice cream and then we sang songs and we laughed all day. And you want to say, remember that day? And he goes, Mm-mm. 
And he doesn't even mean anything by it. He's not even trying to put a dagger in my heart and turn it around when he does right. that. Right. But when right. I hear that, I'm like, oh, no, I'm the only one who has this memory now. Yeah. And I'm the only one. I have to tell that him about it. Thing. And it's not the same thing as yeah. as having it. Once I've told it to him, I know I have a lot of memories from my early childhood that I realize are based on hearing about them. You Stories, know? right. And, and now he's going to have those. Well, the flip of that, interestingly, is enough. I lost my dad about six years ago. And oh. there are things we did together that are that way where I we went on a hike, a hiking trip one time um, up in New Hampshire. And... Um, there's certain moments from that where I remember we got to this crest and we, we camped out on a place that like was within a walking distance, a short walk to a sort of a waterfall and a, uh, this beautiful view. And I might be able to figure out what trail we were on. And I might one day be able mm. to return to that place and be like, yeah. this is it, this is it. But I can't ask my dad and I can't say, right. remember when that happened. So it's like in both directions, you get these memories and you gradually are the only one who's the steward of that that thing that you thought was this shared experience. And indeed it was. Well, if you do go looking for that crest, make sure you bring the plaque. Oh, yes, I will bring a plaque. To <laughs> and I'll watch out for mud Nail skippers. it to a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make sure the fin doesn't grab you. Uh, yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. These lyrics are great. And I appreciate you picking this song just so it could be. Uh, so, I mean, I, I never because, you know, I'm going to make you score the song shortly and I never score the songs. In, you know, I never like have it set in my head. Oh, I'm going to give this score. I wait until the end of the episode because like I said before, I mean, this song, I was like, wait, which one is this? Oh, yeah, it's that one. That's a good song. But now that we're like really delving into it and you're telling me, you know, all these. I mean, you're really, really digging into these lyrics in a very meaningful way and also relating to them personally. And it's really being like, damn, maybe this is the best song on Join Us. I don't know. I thought it was When Will You Die, but, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, that was a great note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So if it's all right, can we jump to the get into the cover section? You think uh, you got any last thoughts on the original? One musical element I will briefly touch on is how much I love the tremolo guitar. Uh, <laughs> just synced up perfectly like it's clearly a tempo uh, a, a metronome regulated tremolo because it is just exactly in time with it. That's part of what makes this such a great song for this band, is that you can kind of listen to those moments, in the, and you can go, okay, I can hear what the two different guitars are doing, and I can hear the bass, and I can, you, like, you can hear how this is five people playing this song, and yet it takes on this, this grandeur. But I love that, that tremolo rotating speaker effect on the yeah. guitar. That, that feels like a very early uh, choice they would have made. I mean, that, sure. that having like a strong guitar element and a strong synth element on this yeah. song makes it feel, has that kind of elemental quality. It's not quite Anna Ang or don't let's start with the super choppy power chords, but it's got that quality of the stops and the starts and it kind of breathes. Definitely. And the band is just so tight on that. And that yeah, God, the, and the, the mix and the production on this record is, is flawless. It's, it's a perfect juxtaposition under the long Kanajahari melodic phrases and then underneath you've got I mean tremolo essentially if you if you turn the depth up the depth all the way up on your uh, tremolo pedal it'll really essentially make it into like really staccato eighth notes or sixteenth notes or however you're setting it so you got this long vocal note while the guitars are going essentially underneath very very cool that that guitar rattling around in those choruses gives it this element that I don't think it would have otherwise. Like without that, it would be a much more tame 
arrangement. You know, that guitar is such mm-hmm. a bold choice. I also think that piano or um, not piano, but the keyboard solo, I can't decide. Is that is that just like a, a really weird dissonant harmony or are those microtones in there that I'm hearing? I can't quite tell, but it's it's a oh. very interesting, yeah. almost discordant solo in the middle of this otherwise really beautifully put together song. Yeah. And you got the accordion in here as well. I always just kind of notice the keyboards, but that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's accordion there. Um, yeah, and accordions are really good for doing little clumps of chords because, I mean, essentially it's a reed instrument. You know, it's full of reeds. Um, you know, you play it with a keyboard, but you're blowing air through reeds as if it were a clarinet. Um, and something about that really lends itself to these the big thick chords or if you're doing like, you know, you know seconds, like small intervals, um, it can sound crunchy without like hurting your ears. Like it can get kind of a cool, like almost guitar effect. If you really like mash some keys on an accordion, it's just like, like it really mm-hmm. tears it up. And yeah, those, the, the, the Linnell has really, especially over the past 10 years, been getting into weird intervals and like quarter tones and these little, uh, cluster chords and stuff like that, that are, that are super cool, especially for the guy that everyone's like, Oh, he's the pop guy. Mm-hmm. You know? But he's still throwing shit like there in, in into a pop song. Well, there's no question that that level of sophistication is is like what people mean when they call something deceptively simple. You know, is that like it sounds like a big bright pop song? And I think the the sort of the official line about them is that they do these big brassy bright songs that are kind of fun. But there's often a lot going on under the hood. And yeah, Linnell's musicality is is so refined, and I think it's easy to miss that. But if you listen to these arrangements, even just little elements like if you put it on headphones. Um, in the left channel, there's this little clavinetti synth part that just kind of goes mm-hmm. bam, 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 throughout the song. And I don't know that I've noticed that sound when I've played it on speakers, which is I've mostly listened to this song in my car, I guess, over the years. Sure. So it was interesting today to go into the deep dive and hear that and go, oh, you know, it's interesting. Always put on the headphones and really crank it up because you will hear things that are just part of the overall swell of the arrangement yep. that when you can isolate it, it's fun to be able to deconstruct it. And like I said, I can really hear, okay, this is a five-piece band. Playing a song, not pulling too many tricks with what they're capable of doing, you know? Now that you mentioned that little keyboard uh, thing, it all of a sudden is is reminding me, because it's in my head, that little keyboard thing is playing, it's reminding me of Pencil Rain, like the Morse code synthesizer that's in that one. Oh, yeah, you're so, talking about the thing on the chorus. You're talking about yeah, the thing on the... Like, yeah. I've never been able to tell whether that was a keyboard or whether that was affected vocals. The thing I'm talking about is actually, right. if you listen to it on headphones, if you listen in the left, there's this little... Throughout the song, there's a little there's a little keyboard part. But yeah, I've never been able to tell what that thing on the chorus is. And even today, I thought, I can't tell. Is that just really multi-track it affected vocals? It might be vocals, yeah. Or is that a be. keyboard? It's hard to tell sometimes with them because they're so creative with the way they use... Their voices, for one, I mm-hmm. mean, they'll put they'll put on odd voices for songs, but especially like in a background vocal, they're not like, oh well, people, they, this is a Linnell song. We got to know the Flansburg's on the track, you know, get some vocals in there. Um, apparently, is Linnell. I'm actually looking. He's the background vocal as well, so that that may be him. I'm going to use my voice like it's a keyboard instrument and just stack a chord up of my own voice. It's like, yeah, exactly. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm thinking with how long this episode is going so far that we should maybe, there's really only one cover I wanted to play. And it's one we had talked about before recording with the, the woman in the front and the guy in the back.
because there there are a couple, and I would I would say that everyone should go and watch uh, my buddy Matt Osborne from the um, what the hell song did we do? Oh, Rhythm Section One ad. He was on that episode, which probably was airing not too long before you're going to be hearing this. Uh, awesome. He has a drum cover of Kenan Jahari on his YouTube channel. Uh, so go check out Matt Osborne's drum cover. Uh, it's him playing along, so I think the audio uh, probably isn't, maybe not worth playing because he's pretty faithful to it, which means it just sounds like he's uh, doing Marty. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but let's check out this cover. Um, let's see. What is the YouTube user's name? So we've got... Oh, wow. They've gotten almost 3,000 views here. That's pretty good. Uh, broke the interweb is the YouTube user. Broke the interweb. And it's Ashley and Judson for too, capital, Too Much TMBG Week. Inaptly named because there can never be too much TMBG. So props <laughs> props to these two for uh, speaking the truth there. Right, yes. Um, and then they also list, uh, or they also say uh, below that, actual shout-out uh, to the Kanjo. Kanjo Jahari New York had a huge impact on my musical development, and for that, I am forever grateful. Uh, their band room had string instruments, too, so you knew they were good. Talking about uh, Kanjo, is that a college around there? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe so. Yeah, and then hashtag upstate New York for life. So, broke the interwebs. Uh, it sounds like maybe, I don't know if it's Ashley or, or Judson that is typing that, but or maybe they both went to college up there and have fond memories, so this seems like an obvious choice for a cover. So with that said, let's, uh, let, let's give their version a listen. So, uh, give me your thoughts on this on this first before, uh, and, and and did you like it? And what it, what what about it did you like? What do you think about their take on it? You know, I always like to see what people do with uh, with their kind of interpretation of something. I, I I don't I don't watch a ton of of covers on YouTube just kind of idly, but I, I when I'm into a band, I will kind of seek out covers, and I do like this song. And I think it's you know it's always great to see someone take an uh, like a song that is so big. And maybe refine it down to those elements, like we said earlier, where you can tell there's a strength to the composition. So I just think it's, you know, it, it, uh, there's a big, uh, a very strong effect on the song that, that I would say sort of characterizes it in a completely different way. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting different take. Th- that guitar effect is pretty extreme. <laughs> well, okay, I'm a fan of extreme guitars. Extreme. Uh, I'm big into shoegaze and Jesus Mary Chain are like maybe my third favorite band. If I was going to be ranking them, I probably would say they're solidly at three underneath yeah. the Mappy Giants and the Mountain Coats, um, which are three pretty different bands. Um, but mm-hmm. I love a good fuzz pedal. But what's weird here is that he's playing an acoustic guitar in the video. You can clearly see he's playing an acoustic guitar capoed up on five, it looks like. Um, which is odd because the key of the song is is in E, which is a very good guitar key to play open. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So he's capoed up on an acoustic, but not only does the guitar sound fuzzy, you can still hear the acoustic guitar in there. So either there's an overdub, but what I'm thinking is that the whole thing sounds fuzzy. Right. I think they recorded it and then ran the audio through like 
some simple garage band like distortion like they put like a distortion on the master yeah so that the, the vocals and the guitar are going through the same effect right because her voice sounds distorted too mm-hmm. which is an interesting effect because and i like it because you see a lot of straight up covers and i'm trying to you know when i do covers on an episode and it's a, a song that has a ton of covers you have to really nail a spot on cover for me to play it because I'd much rather play a harp cover or something like that's really interesting or something that's bizarre, uh, like a bizarre take on it. Like, cause to take a, they might be giant song and play it straight up. You're showing your musicality, but mm-hmm. to take a, they might be giant song and fuck with it shows that you're a true fan. And, uh, you don't just want to pay homage by doing exactly what they did. Cause you'll never do it exactly as good as the Johns. Like you can't, they're just too good. Uh, you know, you can be like, okay, I'm going to get as close as I can. Or you can go your own route. And here, so uh, in lieu of synth or accordion, uh, the woman in the front busts out a melodica at a couple points, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Because it has an accordion-type tone, but it also has its own kind of... I mean, a lot of people have become more familiar with it through Jean-Baptiste, the band leader for Stephen Colbert. A lot of older people, uh, such as you and I, may be familiar with it through dub bands and bands like Gang of Four, who Mm -hmm. um, would employ this as sort of a nod to... um, I don't know, it sort of came up in like reggae music, I suppose, or like um, maybe more like Rocksteady, um, kind of uh, pre-ska or early ska. And so it's an interesting choice to have this acoustic guitar, but then like there's a fuzz underneath it with it. There's only one guitar player, but you're hearing this fuzz and the acoustic. Um, And then an overall kind of grit on the whole thing, which I think this could have been a very pretty, like she has a really good voice. Uh, He is clearly competent on the guitar and he appears to be having fun with it. Like they could have just done it regular style acoustic guitar and uh, a woman singing. But instead, they bust out a melodica, a kind of, you know, unusual instrument. Not everyone knows what that's called, even. Uh, and then put, like, a whole layer of, like, grit on top of the entire recording, which I'm a fan of. Like, they're like, let's make it even more lo-fi. It's a bedroom recording. Let's just throw some shit, like, it's distortion effect on it. And I, uh, when I first hit play, I was like, huh, that's weird. But then the more I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, I'm digging this. I'm digging it. So props to Ashley and Judson. Uh, you broke the interweb. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I was saying before about it's interesting to see. You kind of can't do one of their songs without interpreting it because no one, I mean, you almost don't want to see someone do, um, try to be like them if you're going to make one of their songs. Their songs are so specific. It would be weird to do sort of a, a, a you know, a Beatlemania style uh, tribute to it. So, so no, I think that, yeah, you got to make a choice. And I think that, that choice of the effect, it's like, it is a very strong decision. And I, I as a recording, uh, uh, home recording enthusiast, I think strong decisions should be encouraged. So I think we are to the portion of the show where you must score. Mm. Kenna Jahari, um, based on weirdness of the title, it's a 10. Cause I could barely say it before we started this episode, but now I've gotten a lot of practice. So, uh, how, uh, I always make my guests score at first one to 10. You may use decimals. What do you think? This is all subjective. What do you think? I I think the song really has always been one that I loved and it has grown in my estimation listening to it several times getting ready to talk to you today. And I think it's in the upper tier of of Linnell 
compositions. You know, I just think it's mm-hmm. one of those songs that that I would put. It's it's it, you know, I've heard several of your guests wrestle with what is a ten. I think certain songs we can set as a ten. Like in my mind, you can say something like "Birdhouse in Your Soul" or "Anna Ang" or um, "Don't Let Start." Songs that seem like these are the gateways to loving this band. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. And I don't think it's quite there, and I don't think tens should be thrown out willy nilly. But I think the song right. kicks ass, so I'm going to say it's a nine. Very nice, very nice. Uh, I think uh, prior to realizing what song you had picked and remembering, and and then being like, oh yeah, so let's figure out what the song is, and dawning it dawning on me that it is an amazing catchy song. Um, you know, they just, they just have so many songs. It's like. Oh yeah, Kenny Jahari, right? That's this one. I like that one. Yeah, uh, but it's not one like I'm flipping through the track list and putting it on a a, a, a playlist, right? It's, it hasn't like been thrown onto Spotify playlists all the time, uh, but maybe now I will because I've just like the melody is amazing and like that one person in the interpretations making a link to Montana. I'm like, fuck yeah! I mean, like yeah, this chorus is a lot like Montana that just like grand, grand you know, melody, uh, just stretching and stretching that word out is just so epic. And the lyrics, which I had not paid attention enough to more than like grab onto a couple, you know, uh, a few couplets, uh, I'm now really realizing are amazing. And you have convinced me of that. Uh, so, but for the same reasons you said, I can't throw around a bunch of tens. I am going to give this uh, a 7.5, which, uh, is a, a, a pretty high score. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Well, I know you've, um, you've expressed that you have to you have to cool it with the hyperbole because you're going to be doing all of these. So I think you're wise to give it a seven point five. I think you should sleep on it, um, <laughs> and then maybe come back to this and see if uh, maybe you're wrong. No, but I, I think that um, when you're talking about like looking at the whole catalog, yes, um, obviously anybody who chooses a song to be on this show has chosen a song that they at least has anyone chosen one they don't. Re- really love yet that seems like it would be an odd thing to do um i've already recorded the rabid child episode and that mm-hmm. is one where we definitely talk about why we like it for different re- reasons than other they might be giant songs mm-hmm. um so i i believe rabbit yeah rabbit child will have aired before this episode but now i'm blanking on i was bad at keeping track of my scores i'm gonna go have to go back and listen to the end of that episode just to p- grab the score to put it on my I've I've got those on my spreadsheet just so I can look and reference when I'm about to give a score. Like, okay, well, where, you know, oh, I gave that a nine. Whoops. How did I rank that above, you know, by the time you get this or whatever? You know, I might be grooving on that week. But actually, I did just rank this above by the time you get this, which I gave a 7.2. Uh, but they're both equally uh, amazing songs. And I think Kenna Jahari maybe does does eke out uh, by the time you get this. But it also has the advantage of being... Uh, you know, seven years older. Mm-hmm. So right. it's been with me for a while. So I think 7.5. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to retract that. Um, <laughs> so so it's been great having you on. I've, 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 I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Is there anything you would like to promote or plug? Uh, you, do you have bands going currently? Yeah, I was just going to say the quickest way to do this would just be to recommend that people, you can look on SoundCloud and on Bandcamp for sci-fi that's s-i-g-h-f-i-g-h two words um i'm also in a band called rosemary stretch we've got some stuff on Bandcamp, and then i have a podcast network slash feed of my own it's called f-y-i-z and if you just look for that on itunes you can find the podcasts that i make 
nice podcasters talking about podcasting. <laughs> it's so meta. It's also incestuous. <laughs> Yeah, if you, I mean, if you ever want me to come on one of your podcasts, I'm no, not I have various it. ways. You, you've got your fingers in so many pies, just in terms of music you're involved with and stuff you're doing. I'm sure you and I can find uh, a conversation that that we need to have uh, like this. So that sure. sounds like great fun. All right, sweet. So yeah, go ahead and uh, check out uh, John's stuff um, on the SoundCloud and the the podcasting and all the stuff that you kids like to listen to. You know, the, do, you, do you kids like the rock music? As David Letterman always used to say. <laughs> the kids um, still like rock music? It's a good question <laughs> in 2019. <clears throat> this band has a guitar in it. Whoa. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> and it's not just a sample of a guitar. That guy's playing a guitar. That guy's a dork. How, how far the mighty guitar has fallen. Gross. Anyway, let's not get into that now. This is an hour and a half episode. I think, uh, uh, I think people are going to dig it. Thanks again, John, and uh, let's talk again later. Yes, absolutely. This was great. All righty. Peace out. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Might Be a Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at This Might Be a Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash this might be a podcast. You can email me at this might be a pod at gmail.com. Send us a voicemail. I want to hear your voice on the podcast. Your voice with your opinions. Call 224 801 2930. I will play it on a future episode. This might be a podcast is produced by me, Greg Simpson. This episode was. Edited and mixed by John Walker. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Gianni W. G I A N N I D U B Y A. Gianni W. Please, if you like what you're hearing, go give us a rating on iTunes and anywhere else. Give us that five star rating. Leave us a review. It helps people find us, helps us make new fans and get new listeners. And please subscribe wherever you listen. If you really like what you're hearing, you could head over to patreon.com slash this might be a podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>